whatever it is you want to do in life, you'll be able to do. It's always you versus you. That it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can achieve anything that you set your mind to. Spend the rest of your natural life waking up and going after it. This is my purpose, and you will not stop me. You are listening to Mojo Sports. Yeah, hello and welcome to Mojo Sports. My name is Dan Frost. This is the one-on-one show, and I'm bringing to you, well, the incredible story of uh, Jonathan Gerlach, our our Paralympian friend, who, you know, we left on a bit of a uh, a bit of a cliffhanger last week in part one. Really excited for you to join us in part two. For our listeners who did miss the first instalment of the episode, uh, please jump into uh, jump into your podcast feed, download, give that a listen because. Uh, yeah, quite a remarkable story so far as Jonathan steps us through some of the incredible challenges, uh, you know, that, that he went through. But Jonathan, yeah, talk us through some of the, you know, I guess how you got through that period and I guess the decision that you came to to kind of stick it out and ultimately try and aim for, uh, for Tokyo. That's another good question. Uh, I So when I was training in Canberra at that time, I had, there were probably about three or four other uh, paratrathletes that moved to Canberra to be coached by my coach at the time because they were all preparing for the games. They all had medal events, and he was the national team coach at that point. And within about, I don't know, four or five months, I was like, I can't be here anymore. It was just the, the vibe of the place being around the athletes. It sounds selfish, but being around the athletes that were training for the games, and they were all, you know, they were so focused, and I just – it just felt like an outcast. I thought, well, I need to change. I need to change this up. I need to, um, I need to go somewhere else. So I, I just packed my bags and moved to Melbourne and changed the scenery and um, joined the club down there and um, just kept training and kept racing and 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 you know, luckily for me, um, about two years after Rio, so about two years out from from Tokyo, twenty twenty, I've I found out that I had a medal event for, for Tokyo and just like, you know, just like it was game on again. I was just so excited and I was so glad that I stuck it out and persevered and, and kept training and tried to get better at my swim and, and all aspects of triathlon. And, and um, that just, again, that just everything went to a new level from that point in terms of preparation and, and support and um, resources and, and, you know, new new race guide and everything it was just like okay well, i've got this big this goal is now it's now a possibility and you know like I've, it's in sight like you know let's let's go get it and um you know everything changed so i know i know you're an elite athlete at the time but i hope you went out and celebrated with a few beers mate to uh after well, getting that, that, that news yeah <laughs> Well, I was actually in uh, in Edmonton in in Canada at the time, and it was my first race with my new guide, uh, and it was a, a big international race, and we actually went and won that race, and it was the day after that race that the news came out, um, and yeah, like it was just like winning this big race and beating some guys that I hadn't beaten before, which was for me was huge. And and then getting the news that we'd have this medal event in Tokyo, I was just like, okay, like everything everything was on track. And it was only a couple of months prior to that that I uh, relocated from Melbourne to, to Wollongong because I was challenged by my previous high performance manager because I had a couple 
and she said, look, if you're really serious about this, even though you don't know if you, at the time if you have a medal event for Tokyo, you, you need to consider moving to a proper high-performance environment and be coached by a proper high-performance coach. Otherwise, you're, just, you're going to go backwards. You're not going to keep up with all the other athletes that are consistently improving. And the depth of, of the competition was just growing all the time in my sport. So, yeah, I moved to Wollongong, and then within a couple of months, had this win and then had the medal event, and I was like, all right, everything's rolling now. So... Um, it just yeah, everything just kept build, building momentum from that point. Yeah, no, it's um, and 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 yeah, like, and talk us through like you know, yeah, you, some of the wins that you that you had, and um, you know, I, I guess the the confidence that you gave that that gave you um, you know, he, heading into Tokyo, yeah, and and I guess you know you you've spoken about your adversity and the challenges, but on the flip side of that, how does it how does it feel to win these events after everything you've gone through, all the sacrifices that you've made? Um, it must be pretty special. They're pretty rewarding. Yeah, like it's, I mean, looking back on the last 10 years, starting from scratch, uh, you know, that having, it's funny, I, you, you hear it on the TV all the time, you hear those, you know, whether it's a, a musician or an athlete or someone who's, you know, at the top of their game or their field and they say, oh, you know, you just have to find what you're passionate about and chase your dream and, you know, it'll, it'll happen. Just go for it. And I used to be that person that always thought, that's bullshit. Like, you're talking about like you're talented you're good at what you do like that's half the job done for you like you yeah yeah sure you can say that because you're on top but it, it it actually is true like you find something that you really 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 love and you want to be good at you you'll do everything in your power to change that like I changed my whole life I came back from Amsterdam and left all my party life behind me and all my clubbing life and and left a lot of my mates behind in Sydney and moved back to Nara, didn't drink for a year. I, you know, I, I changed everything because I was so set on this goal that I had to make happen. And I had no experience as an elite athlete. I was just doing what I, what I knew and what I learned from watching so many years of sport and my understanding of sport. That was, that was, that was my education, just watching so much sport. And, that, you know, I just, I just, just stuck with it. And it, and it, it, it was, at the end of the day that it's true if you just even with all the obstacles you just you you change your life around to evolve revolve around what it is that you love this one thing and then rather than you trying to fit that thing into your day-to-day life and so you know, i made or make everything i do revolves around making sure i can train and then i'm in the best have the best nutrition and you know everything you know it's yeah. Yeah, you- just to, to achieve that goal you know yeah, you, you, you strip it all, all the way back and, you know, you just give it everything you got. That way, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when you reflect on your career, you know, when it's all when it's all said and done, you know, you, you won't have any regrets because you absolutely gave it everything you got. Okay, well, look, the listeners, we're, we're all fresh off, uh, off off the Tokyo Games and, you know, there's just so, so many stories, so much excitement. But talk to us a little bit about some of the practicalities around qualification and, you know, what, what it sort of took to, to get there because obviously, you know, you know, talking us through your journey, we're getting pretty close to it. But, yeah, talk us through some of the practicalities and um, what it took to get there. So with triathlon for paratriathlon, we have a one-year qualification window. Uh, so, so some sports, they might, you, need a, you might need a certain time you have to achieve or, you know, um, be the best in your country or whatever it is. But for triathlon, we have a 12-month <clears throat> window and within that 12-month window, 
you can do as many races in the calendar as, as you please all over the world, but your best three results in that in that year are counted towards your qualification. And uh, for Paralympic sports, we have very small fields compared to the Olympics, um, partly because there's you know, less people in the world with disability than there are able-bodied people. Um, but logistically, because we have so many medal events for different ca- disability categories, we can't have you know, 40, 50 people per event. We can only have, in some cases, we can only have, you know, six or eight. And for us in our sport, <clears throat> per per category, it's 10, 10 can qualify per gender as well. Um, so, yeah, 10 male, 10 female. So basically, I, I needed to get in the top 10 in the world uh, within that 12-month window. Fortunately for me and my guide at the time that I was racing with, our last, and it ended up being my last international race, before Tokyo, before we actually went and competed. So March last year, and that was literally the weekend that everything kicked off in Australia with with COVID. Uh, And that race, in combination with some other results we had in the previous seven or eight months, so World Championships and a couple of other international events, uh, we won that race in Devonport, and and that that was enough for us to, to secure a top 10 spot no matter what anyone else did we had enough points to qualify and we're so fortunate because as everyone knows what happened with COVID since then like sporting competitions and yeah. stopped and there was this weird space where we knew we'd done enough but there was no more we only had international races start again earlier this year so it was pretty much over a year from when the last international international race was to now, so we had this full year where we knew we, no matter what, as long as the games went ahead, which w- weren't guaranteed until close to Tokyo this year, uh, we knew we'd we'd done enough to qualify. Whereas a lot of our competitors hadn't hadn't qualified at that point, so for them it was a lot more stressful trying to make sure they secured a spot. But for us, we we were in a good position. We we knew we knew we'd done enough to qualify. Uh, for my guide, you know, he, he, you know, for, I've had probably seven or eight guides over the, over the last 10 years and they've all been amazing and, and given up their time um, to, to support me and my goal. And the guide that I'd raced with for about two and a half years there who was going to come to Tokyo and race, because of the one-year delay, it just pushed – Amanda, he'd have to push everything back in his own life. Like, all my guides have – you know, they've either got partners or kids or careers or they're studying at uni. They're all, they're all just normal people. Uh, they're all pro athletes themselves, but they all have their own life goals as well. So for my previous guide, you know, about five months out from Tokyo this year, he, he just couldn't commit to that last block because it, it just had too much going on that he couldn't push back anymore. Um, and um but yeah but and at that point a lot of things changed again had a lot of unforeseen changes a change of coach that wasn't ex- i didn't expect to happen uh, and then needing a new guide just four months out i had to find a new guide and 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 then you know start the process of them getting to know the tandem bike and racing with them and because it's a team sport for us really so um so there were quite a lot of challenges coming in to the games and and last two months right before Tokyo having having a, another lockdown um, where I'm based in in Illawarra um, that that you know meant that all the pools closed and the ocean was getting too cold to swim in and so all these challenges started getting thrown at us again even in that last little period before we were even getting on the plane to go 
Um, and that's not even including all of the challenges of trying to avoid COVID and all, the, all of the biosecurity bubble protocols pre-departure and while we're in the games. So it was just, it was, uh, there was a lot to do just to get on the plane to go. Um, but it was, yeah, it was totally worth it. You, uh, you, you know, you've obviously got an autobiography in your future, but I mean, even if we were to put paper to pen and say, okay, what are all of the obstacles that could possibly hit Jonathan uh, as he embarked on his goals? I mean, it just feels like, just must have felt like everything that, that not necessarily could go wrong, but could go wrong, went wrong because um, you, you throw a global pandemic over the top of everything you've been to and um, uh, it's just so difficult. But um, I, I guess, and, and then just before we, we jump into Tokyo, talk to us a little bit about, well, we'll, we'll start with some of the, the, the physical challenges and the demands on your body. Um, you know, can, can you talk to us through whether it's potential injuries or, or yeah, just, just, the, just the physical um uh, demands, uh, you know, as as an as an athlete in um, competing in triathlons. Well, I'm not competing, and I guess for a lot of listeners, they're probably thinking um, like Ironman racing when they think of triathlon, which is those races that take eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours. You know, um, I, fortunately or smartly enough, I'm not doing that length of racing. I'm doing the real short racing. So the races I do it. The Paralympics is a seven, a twenty-kilometer bike and a five-kilometer run, and that for us takes about an hour. So, for, so for some of the listeners, that might still be a long race, but that in terms of triathlon is quite short. And um, so, the recovery time is really, really quick for that. You could go back and race the next day and still race fairly, fairly well. Um, but the training is still it's it's really intense. Um, you go through obviously your different periods of, of training blocks. Um, you've got your off season and and then as you're building into the race, the intensity picks up. And so for us in that last four months, that was probably the hardest training block I've ever had in my life. And that's what I expected coming into the, the pinnacle event. And, um, but yeah, with, with those challenges of a new coach and a new, and a new guide uh, in that last four month, four months, um, you know, it sort of intensified everything as well because it wasn't, especially the first part of that four months. You know, everyone's still trying to fill each other out and, and get an understanding of, of what our limits are and what, what our roles are. And ideally, you'd be doing four years out and all that all that stuff would be done and dusted and you're just focused on your training and your consistency and not getting sick or injured and just building towards that event in best shape you can. So, you know, we were – because of the lockdown, we were doing things like setting up a green tent in our garage, um, uh, from Bunnings and putting in a couple of heaters and a couple of kettles because the conditions in Tokyo, as, as a lot of listeners might be aware, were for our race at, at sort of 8.30 in the morning was, was about 38, 39 degrees. Uh, water temperature was 30 degrees. Oh and the humidity was 80, 85%. Just like being in Cairns in summer. It's just, it's just, it's just ridiculous. So we were in a, in a green tent doing bike and run sessions on a treadmill or on our stationary trainer on the bike trying to trying to uh you know do some heat acclimation because we couldn't even get up to, to sydney to uh, new south wales institute of sport where they've got proper heat facilities which is what we would have accessed and on top of that we weren't able to get over to our training base in uh miyakojima it's an island off the coast of japan where we were going to base ourselves for a couple of weeks to do heat acclimation before so all those things were out the door as well so there were a lot of challenges in that build-up but um, the training, yeah, it was definitely intense and uh, we just had to try and stay injury and illness-free, building in and COVID-free 
um, even even trying to avoid in that last two weeks to be considered a close contact. Like I think it was, um, I think it was about nineteen days out from departure to Tokyo. Um, just up like not even two blocks from my house. One a tiny little IGA had a positive case had been in there two days in a row and I was in there on one of those days. Oh my God. You know, that, that could have just derailed everything. Like, you know, like I went in there, I was in there for two minutes. I walked in and out. Um, fortunately, everyone was only considered casual contact, but if that had been close contact and happened within the last 14 days of departure, I was stuffed because I would have had to home quarantine. So, you know, it was quite, it was definitely of any event I've ever done. Paralympics status aside, it was, the most um, stressful and intense build up because of all those elements of, of, uh, of COVID and the lockdowns and uh, you know, all the tests that we had to do before we left and filling in different apps daily to say where we were and what our health was. And um, yeah. So, and that's not even including everything we had to do while we were in the village as well. So uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was a really unique build up and uh, you know, in a way it's probably going to, set us up really well for the next couple of um, big games that we're going to uh, have next year in Birmingham and, and then on to Paris because I'm assuming COVID's not going to be around and, and it's going to be a lot less stressful than mm. what it's been this time around. So if anything, I think looking back on all of the challenges that, that I've faced, it, all, all they've ever done is build resilience and, and adversity and, 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 you know, determination and all those real big words that um, come from, being outside your comfort zone and all those learnings that you have from that. So yeah, um, no, it's only going to make put me in better shape than I was before. I'm sure there's a few curse words, but then it's uh, all right, let's, let's, let's accept it. Let's move on. And it's a nice yeah. job, but you know, just thinking about, you know, all of those touch and go situations right on the, right on the doorstep of Tokyo, you know, we heard some crushing stories, you know, in the Olympics, in the Paralympics about the, these really um, unfortunate instances where yeah, everyone's training, falls over because of the COVID situation and then they miss mm. out. So, um, no, I'm, I'm very, very glad that you managed to um, dark and avoid it and um, and get yourself on that plane. So to, I, I guess the next side of it is is talking to us about, I, I guess, your, your, your mental preparation and, and, and what you're like as an athlete when you're trying to get yourself ready, um, you know, and, and how you sort of push yourself through those moments and, and a little bit about your expectations prior to going. So yeah, if you can talk to us a little bit about the mental side of your, your sport. Yeah. I think the, for me personally coming from a, well, coming into the, coming into elite sport at an older age, I didn't come into it from a teenager or young twenties. I've come into it almost 30 years of age and I've, I've had a lot of life, life experience prior to that and lived you know, a relatively casual, normal life in terms of, you know, just working and, and partnerships and going and hanging out with your friends and spending time with family and doing, and, you know, doing all, and studying and doing a lot of those normal life, life things that people do. So for me, when I prepare for an event uh, and, and also the training environment that I set myself up in, I, I still have those things happening. I still, I still, work part-time and I have a partner and I and I see my family regularly and all those things are those things that ground me and they're the things that I need to maintain even building right up to right up to that pointy end of, of, of preparation for a big event because I find for myself if I take myself outside of those or separate myself from all those things that 
the pressure does start to build more because all you're thinking about is that event and every single training session. And, you know, I know triathletes, for example, who they've told me I can't do anything else but triathlon. I can't study. I can't do think about life after sport. All I've got to do is think about the next session and then the recovery after that session and what I'm eating and then get ready for the next session and, and make sure I'm sleeping and preparing for my event. And I do all those things and maybe not as well as they do. I don't know. But if I don't have all of those other elements in my life in balance and, and distracting me in a way without them actually being a distraction, but um, because they're all important, but yeah, just, just having both, both sides of the elite athlete side and the normal life stuff um, all in balance. And that, that allows me to prepare best. And that, and that was probably in a way, one of the advantages that, probably the only advantage of having a lockdown in that last couple of months is that I was based at home right up until we departed and flew out instead of, you know, going to Cairns for a week and then maybe Miyakojima and, and being in that team environment, which still would have been great and great preparation, but in a way, just being able to see my family and my partner and, 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 and my dog as well, and just do all those normal things I do that ground me, then I, I feel like I was probably in a better headspace hitting the ground in Tokyo and then only having to race a week later. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I think that's some great advice. And I, I think it, it, it is something that our athletes are, are slowly learning, you know, is that you just need something else to, to take your mind off it. Because, you know, if you immerse yourself um, in your sport 24-7, then, you know, you're certainly riding the highs, but you're also riding the, the, the lows a little bit, a little bit too hard. But, no, I think that's great advice. All right, my friend, well, tell us about it. So this is... This is, I guess, you know, for, for me, you know, reflecting on it, Jonathan, um, based on your story, this isn't just, you know, like you said, that the physical time of training, but this dates back all the way to your early teens in terms of your journey and sort of getting getting to, getting to the games. But, yeah, talk to us about, you know, heading over there and your expectations and, uh, you know, what, what it's like to, to be a Paralympian. Yeah, it's got a nice ring to it. That's what I'm, 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 yeah, pretty proud of that achievement. Uh, no matter what the result was on the day. And that was what I went into the games. Uh, with, that was the attitude I went in with. Um, obviously, was preparing for a gold medal. And, you know, we were we were lining up all of our, you know, our, all our times in the pool and on the track and running and uh, targeting what, what the benchmark athlete or athletes were, were hitting uh, on previous races. And, and that meant, you know, we were, we were ready to, to race at that speed and, and try and match those guys. And, you know, and there was 10 in our race and, and anyone from, from one to 10 could have actually finished on the podium. And it actually worked out that way in the end. Um, the guy that won gold from America and, and the Japanese who got bronze, I'd beaten them both before. Um, the Japanese, I beat only in my last race in Devonport last year. So, um, it, you know, in those conditions, in that heat, um, you know, with all of the challenges that everyone, everyone would have faced different challenges at different times over the past couple of years with COVID, you know, competitors in America and the UK and, and all through Europe faced some pretty hard challenges last year. They probably saw the brunt of the initial um, wave uh, of COVID, whereas we were pretty pretty good here in Australia, whereas we've probably been affected by it more on the back end in Australia with, with the restrictions that we have. So I went over there with a realistic mindset that looked, had a lot of those challenges and there's been a lot of things that you know a lot of people might just put their hands up in the air and go well I'm not going to be a chance at all I, I didn't want to think that way I just wanted to go over there and 
you know, at, at, the, at the base of it, my goal initially all those years ago was to, to qualify the Paralympic Games and compete and be able to call myself Paralympian. And it was only in the last couple of years where I had that belief and my team around me had that belief where I, I could actually medal. So for me, it was, it was still a win to go over there and just to compete and finish the race and, and call myself Paralympian. Um, but yeah, I, st- I you know, I, I ended up finishing eighth and yeah, part of me, is di- the athlete part of me is disappointed that I didn't finish higher than that. I know I, I could, I, I know that I can do better than that. And, but I'm not disappointed. I actually went over that finish line, really happy and proud of the achievement and, and, you know, reflected on everything that happened to get to that point. And, you know, I know that, uh, come next year at Commonwealth Games and then on to Paris I'll be in a lot better place from that experience and there's no pressure now I can I've been to the Paralympics I've, I've, I've ticked that goal and you know everything from this point on as cliche as it sounds is is a bonus because you know it, it really is yeah that's right no you, you you do you do sort of get that sense of yeah that that weight being lifted right like you you sort of you've gone through all of that all this build up all of the all of the hurdles and and, and now you've got there and you've ticked that off um, you know as a goal it's it's on to the next job, and I, I guess, and, and and tell us quickly a little bit about just to put it into context. I mean, um, you know, to, to be a Paralympian, it's just it, it just blows my mind. It made it's it's something that um, you know, obviously, you should be very very proud of, but something the whole country's proud of. You know, your your achievements there, but uh, within the Australian context, um, you know, is, is there anyone in and around you um, sort of trying to compete in your sport, or yeah, to tell us a little bit about the Australian context there. We've got uh, we had seven seven athletes compete at, uh, at Tokyo, uh, all from different categories, and uh, and two of us were vision impaired. There's one female, one male. We both got race guides. Um, I've got one or two competitors in Australia um, at the moment, but yeah, internationally is where where the competition is at. Um, you know, we, my category is so strong at the moment. There are a couple of guys that actually qualified in the top 10 in, in the qualification race, but because uh, you can only have a maximum of two people per nation mm. represent, they were, I think there was a the French and the, and the Americans. They had, both countries had three in the top, top 10. And so two of them had to miss out. Wow. Um, one of them's actually been on the podium at world championships for seven or eight years straight. And just because he hit an injury at the wrong time of year, the other two guys just beat him in their key races and he missed out. So, you know, there's stories like that where these guys are chasing the same dream and they've, they've, they've essentially missed out and not because they weren't good enough. So, you know, that also helps put it in perspective. That, you know, not everyone gets this opportunity. Um, there's, I think there's only just over a 1,000 Australians since 64, since the first Paralympics that have actually been able to, qualify and and compete at the Paralympic Games and call themselves a Paralympian it's, it's it's there's not many of us that can that say that and and it's and it's the same with the Olympians that you know they've been the Olympics have been around a lot longer um but you know Paralympian and Olympian they're one and the same um the for, for listeners too like they may not know Paralympics doesn't mean paraplegic or or disability it, it actually means parallel so Paralympics is actually parallel to the Olympic Games. Um, so the only difference for us is that we're just competing with a, with some form of disability against other people uh, uh, of the same or similar. So 
um, we're all training just as hard. We're all elite athletes. We're all uh, and and today in this, uh, we most of us are actually training with able-bodied athletes. We're training in the same squads as these guys with the same coaches, and um, we just go and compete in a different event. So yeah, absolutely no. And you know, someone that we you know, follow quite quite closely is Dylan Orcott, just because of the amazing advocacy work that he does and the platform that he's got. And he just said, you know, thank you know, very appreciative and respectful of the Olympics. But hey, that was just the entree. Let's go. Let's go and do this. And um, I guess we felt that sweep across the nation. And uh, yeah, no, it was uh, it was exciting. And 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 now we've all got itchy feet again because we want to see the next competitions. And you've touched on it a little bit, but um, you know, obviously having ticked that goal. Uh, you know, these year goals moving forward is the Com Games and um, in the, the next Paralympics. Yeah, well, we're still not. Unfortunately, in Australia, we're still we're still sort of dealing with these uh, restrictions that we have to to go overseas. Even though, as I've been saying to, to other people, that it was it definitely was a privilege for us to be able to go and compete in Tokyo, given that there's a lot of Aussies trying to get home still. Um, you know, we were, we were above the, the cap, uh, return traveler cap as well, uh, which meant we could come home straight after the games and, uh, and, and quarantine and then, and then go back into normal life. But normal life was going back into a, a lockdown that's continued on here in the Illawarra. And because of that, those border restrictions are still there, which means I can't go to an event in, in November, for example, which is the next world championships. That's over in Abu Dhabi. We just can't go. Uh, there's no flights and, too expensive and and you know we'd have to come home and do another two weeks quarantine so for me it looks like international racing for us uh will go back in probably may next year and then that that'll be a build up until uh, end of july when the commonwealth games start and fortunately um so in commonwealth games you do have paralympic sports but it's a lot less than what is in the public games so paralympics will have about 22 23 sports um, but in the Commonwealth Games, they might have, you know, five, six, seven sports. And then within those sports, there's even less disability categories than what they would have in those sports in the Paralympic Games. So for triathlon, we only have one disability category instead of six. Uh, and fortunately for me, we've got the, the vision impaired category has a medal event in Com Games. So it's, a, it's an event I didn't think I'd ever, ever be able to tick off and, and, and go and compete at. Uh, and it wasn't one I... Certainly wasn't one that I was I was intending to compete at, but it's going to yeah. It looks like I'm going to qualify for that, and I'm pretty excited to have that as a, as a, a target event next year. And then um, and then following on from that, it's only two years until until Paris uh, Paralympics in 2024, and so that'll come around real quick. Yeah, that that's the you know obviously dis, you know disappointing the you know some of the challenges around Tokyo, but yeah, it, it shortens the, the 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 schedule a little bit. Um, and sorry, just your qualification for the Com Games. So, um, is that the race in May next year to qualify, or how does that kind of? So it's a little bit different for Com Games because there are less nations involved in the Commonwealth, and therefore the numbers of athletes are a little bit less. It goes more on the rankings, like world rankings, rather than your actual. Um, 12-month window like it is for the Paralympics. So at the moment, I'm ranked in the top five, and it uh, very un- and I think it's January or February next year that, that the ranking for um, qualifications for Commonwealth Games will close. Cut off, so yeah. at that point, yeah, so at that point, I'm still going to be well and truly in that top 10, and uh, so we can be pretty safe to say that we'd, we've qualified for that event, whereas for Paris, it'll be 
pretty much the same as Tokyo. So mid-2023, we'll um, start that qualification window. And around that same time, we'll have a test event, as most sports do in Paralympics and Olympics. So we'll have an opportunity in 2023 to go and actually compete on that course, which from what I know is right next to the Eiffel Tower and swimming in the in the Seine, which is hopefully going to be clean by then. But yeah, that's going to be pretty unreal to even just to do the test event and, and race race in the middle of Paris, which I've been there a few times as a backpacker. So it's going to be a real amazing um, experience seeing it from that angle and and being able to being able to race in that city. No, that's incredible. And uh, look here at Mojo Sports, we're one hundred percent behind you. Your country's behind you, and you know we're going to have you back on the show. Um, you know for 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 the Com Games as well into the future. We're going to we're going to be tracking uh, tracking your progress very very closely. Well, look, I, before we let you go, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to, um, yeah, offer some advice because, you know, obviously there, there are more opportunities now. There, there's sort of globalization now for younger athletes coming through. And, you know, if you were able to sort of, you know, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm sure you've, you've done this before, but if you're able to speak to sort of a younger group um, who, who were sort of, you know, experiencing, you know, some of the early obstacles that, that you sort of had, what would your advice be? to a young athlete, you know, noting all of the challenges that you went through? I got given some really good advice back in, um, when was it? it would have been 2011, 2012, when I was just starting out. I actually went and did a talent search day with uh, Paralympics Australia, trying out for lots of different sports just to see what I was, what I was good at. And one of the – he was a former Paralympic athlete, but he was there sort of running the day, and he said to all of the athletes – no matter what sport you do, make sure you pick a sport that you're passionate about because he said, don't, don't go and pick a sport that you think is going to be the easiest pathway to, for us to a Paralympic Games, if that's what your goal is. He said, don't pick the easy sport because at the end of the day, you, you're not going to enjoy the training. You're not, want to, you're not going to want to get yourself up at 5 a.m. to take yourself to a session. You're not going to want to go and do a session out in the rain if it's pouring down rain or whatever it is you know like those those hard sessions you're just going to hate it and you're not going to enjoy it and then you're just going to give it up and that was the main reason i went with triathlon i thought well this is the hardest sport there is and i couldn't swim but i knew i was i knew that's what i wanted to do even after testing for all these other sports so uh, yeah it's just and and it's not just in sport i say this to a lot of people is that people that are facing mental health issues like find something that just makes you smile like that you that you can just throw yourself into that you're passionate about if it's music if it's sport if it's art or whatever it is just something that keeps you focused and drowns the noise like just something that you could see yourself doing day in day out and, and and just enjoying it and that's what sport did for me so that that's sort of the main advice i give out to people yeah no i, I love it and i think um yeah, it, it, it's absolutely great advice, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think the the instructor on the day, I, I think he, uh, yeah, he sort of, I think he led you down the right path because yeah, no one's going to be there to, no one's going to be there when it's when times get really really tough. You've got to find something within yourself, and it, it just definitely helps if you love what you do. And um, you know, Jonathan, you, you you certainly do that. But look, I think that's a that's a great way to close off. There, just want to really thank you for your time for for coming on and. Um, you know, sharing some of your vulnerabilities, but also, um, you know, join us in, in celebrating uh, the success so far. And, and I say so far because there's a lot on the horizon and we can't wait to have you back on the show. 
Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. No, excellent. Well, look, thank you very much for today. And to our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed uh, today's episode. Until next time, we'll see you then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports. Thank you for your support. It is very much appreciated. The team and I are trying to build something a little different here, so everyone's support is very much appreciated. Continue to support the podcast, download, subscribe, check out our social media channels, give us a follow, and be sure to tell your friends about Australia's best-kept secret. This is Mojo Sports.